that's the thing that grief does too. It just expands and it expands and, and until you actually say the things out loud, it's like a monster, right? Yeah. Once you start saying it out loud, people know that you're that you hurt and they know you're acknowledging it and they get to be a part of that process as well, right? They get to sort of hold your hand through it rather than try and fix it or rather than try and avoid it. Welcome back to the podcast, Tacos Together. We have our amazing guest here, Kylie. How are you? Good. So Thanks for having me. So excited to have you on. We're finally (laughs) able to get started and get going. We have kind of a big topic to get into today. We're going to be talking a lot about grief. We're going to be talking about active grieving. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I know we have a lot to cover today, but before we jump into it, let's, for those that don't know who you are, let's get a little background into more so about who Kylie is and how we got into where we're going to be diving into about grief and why grief. Great. Um, by day I do a couple, have wear a couple different hats. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker, so I'm a therapist. Whenever I tell people that they're like, what's your specialty? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I always laugh because my specialty is teens and adolescents and they're like, and what do you do? And I'm like, that's what I do. Right. right, That that is it. (laughs) Um, but I work with most of the mental health, um, typical, like, uh, you know, like, uh, depression, anxiety, OCD, things like that. Mm -hmm. I am, I'm also specialized in that I am a residential treatment center therapist. So, and I've done that my whole career. I started out as a wilderness therapist. So some people are familiar with that. Some people aren't. Uh I worked at a place called Anasazi down in Arizona. And, um, and then I worked, I just been in different kinds of residential. So therapeutic boarding school, I work at an, a young adult Mm -hmm. therapeutic boarding school called Telos right now. And at Telos, we also specialize in a particular type of student. So we take students that have, that are neurodiverse, that have um, processing deficit issues. And, and really we take students that, um, that have all kinds of mental health, but that we specify in process addiction. So that's things like um, gaming addiction or like mm-hmm. tech addiction or like pornography or things like that. So, okay. um, and we give them a life coach and a therapist and a lead, and we help them kind of grow into their independence. We do a lot of adulting skills. And at Telos, I'm the life skills director there. So I sometimes do therapy with students there. But for the most part, I direct a team of life coaches that work with students. Um, Outside of my day-to-day job, I started, I'm a co-founder of a nonprofit um, called Inspire Music Service Hope. And then we have a sister company called um, Inspire Entertainment, which is a performing arts studio. Mm -hmm. So I don't really work at the performing arts studio, but our nonprofit has three, like, I guess three prongs, you could say. So we have... um, a choir that's like a fireside group choir. We have a chapter in Utah and we have a chapter in Arizona. I run the chapter in Utah. Um, and then we do international music service tours. So we take teens and their families um, to all kinds of places, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic. We're going to oh, Panama. Wow. We're going to Panama this summer. That will be we, so we fun. We went to Fiji last summer. Oh my gosh. So we go and we take these kids. Lots of times they're kids from our studio that are, you know, pretty wealthy and they're really concerned about themselves. And you know how performing arts mm-hmm. is very like all about how you look and all about how you do. And so we wanted to introduce those same kids um, to poverty and to Mm. gratitude and sort of give them this experience. So we actually take their phones away for the week while they're there so they can really um, connect and not have to worry about 
reposting everything, but just be really present. Um, then our third prong in our nonprofit is new. We've, it's only been around for about a year. We started a performing. We started a theater company. Wow. So we're hoping to. Um, build a really beautiful theater down there. But as any business, you have to sort of grow the numbers, right? How put on shows and stuff like that. So on the side, I kind of work, um, we've been around for about 11 years, which is exciting. So I've kind of worked my way out of like really active roles in that. Um, and, and it's been great. So the kind of between the nonprofit and the for-profit, and then I have a small private practice that I do. So just like a yeah, little bit. Just a little bit. Right. Yeah. You keep yourself busy. <laughs> I do keep myself busy. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm maybe like to tell you a little bit why I'm passionate about this topic, I think as a therapist, but as a as a human. Um, when I was eight years old, um, my mom and dad were traveling and they were in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm with a group of people and my grandpa was sick and my, and my grandpa was dying and ended up dying. And so my, like at a very young age, I had somebody who I loved die. Mm -hmm. Then when I was 15, my aunt who at the time had four kids, her oldest was, uh, six and her youngest was nine months old. She actually hit some black ice and like endowed her truck and broke her neck and ended up dying. So at 15, I ended up going to this funeral that was very catastrophic for me, right? Like watching my uncle with, and he was young. My aunt was 30 when she died. So this was like a young family. And, um, and then a few years later when I was 18, 19, my grandfather, who I was very close to, also died of cancer. And then six weeks later, which is the most pivotal moment for me, my little brother, at the time I was 19 and he was 15, my 15-year-old brother drowned at the age of 19. So at that point in my life, I I now look back and I talk to friends and people and I realize that was, that's not normal. No. Like people lose people, but they don't lose that many and in that way significant loss. It had become a part of my DNA. I didn't really know any different. And it was interesting because I got trained in, it's called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprogramming. It's what people do when they are trying to um, work through trauma. And it's in addition to talk therapy, right? When I was getting trained to do EMDR, I used the experience of my brother's drowning death to like work backwards and do the EMDR, do my trauma, right? And the, and, and I had a hard time, like many people, when cops, like when when the sound of cops and the lights and, and I have this, I knew I had this extra sensitivity because of my brother's death. There was so much going on. Right. So I used that thinking that the trigger of my life was, you know, just death. What I found out when I did my EMDR training was the person that was doing the training with me was like way at a way younger age. You learned that you couldn't control which we all have to learn at some point, right? right? Like the outcome of people because people kept dramatically leaving in your life. And and the combination of like my grief story and learning that about myself, like that there are things that grief does to us internally that we don't even know, um, like sparked this huge interest in me and this topic, I guess. That's kind of the intro wow. to that. <laughs> That is some intro though. And that's, that's a lot to go through in, I would say any lifespan, but especially in your younger years. Yeah. And obviously that has made you passionate about grief and learning about more into grief and active grieving and how to 
almost like let go and remove some of these, what's the best way of saying, like identifiers with how you should process certain things. Yeah. So for you, when you lost so many people in such a quick amount of time over the years, yeah. at what point were you able to then, okay, after like, how, how do you get started with this? Like, how were you like, okay, yeah. I need to get... You know, it's so interesting because the, the topic I want, I, I kind of want to come in and, and we talked a little bit earlier that I want to talk about is actually not the, the grief mm-hmm. that you go through when, when people die. Right? right. So this was also the, the moment for me was I realized that there was a lot of conversations. They aren't always great, but there was a lot of rituals, uh, funerals, um, cemeteries, um, just like there was the ability in, in a community because everyone's going to die that even though we don't like it, that we've, we've sort of canonized that it's going to happen and that, so right. it's okay to talk about and, um, and, and having that and having that experience with these traumas in my life, um, simultaneous with that, I was being single longer and longer and longer and longer. And I was having my own, um, losses and griefs that were happening that weren't deaths. And it was really clear to me that we don't have spaces and places to talk about other types of grief or mm-hmm. loss. Um, and what do you do with that? Right? right. There's places and things to do with loss of life with death. And that is kind of where, especially as I was doing my therapy work, where I started to be like every family and every student that I had in front of me, every client was going through some kind of a loss and some kind of grief. And if it wasn't the one that most people talk about, which was loss of life. And in, in my world, a lot of that is suicide. Right. Um, then it was something else. And as soon as I start to recognize that everybody was grieving, Mm -hmm. the easier it became to meet people where they were at. Right. It's just what kind of grief are you going through? And for most of my clients with teens, parents were going through the loss of what I call home or the loss of self that what they thought was going to happen for their family or their kid, they're now on an alternate path. Right. Mm-hmm. So we could talk about therapy all day long, but until I sat with the parents and said, Hey, you got to grieve right. what you thought was going to happen yeah, or what you still think is going to happen. And what's the reality that's in front of you, then we could actually, you know, do the work. If so, that makes sense. Yeah. And there's a lot, I think to be said between grief, between loss how do you identify the differences between grief and loss? I mean, I know we talked before, but even when we were talking, I was like, huh. Yeah. For the, like, let's, yeah. you know, you've obviously done an extensive amount of therapy yourself. You obviously are a therapist, so you understand kind of the basics of how to differentiate between the two. But for those listening that yeah. maybe grief and loss seem like the same thing. Yeah. And, and I guess, I don't know that I really always differentiate them, but I guess what I would say is... And we're going to kind of talk about different types of uh, loss. Um, And so I guess I would differentiate loss. There's different types of loss in our lives. And then the way that you handle, Mm -hmm. and that can be good or bad, I guess the consequences of loss, (laughs) because we think of consequences of negative, but either I would call that probably grief or grieving, if that makes sense. So you have this significant loss in some way. And then the way that you handle or don't handle um, that loss is how you're grieving or not grieving it, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, makes sense for sure. (laughs) I think think most people, lay terms, use them synonymously. Okay. Yeah. 
No, I think and that's helpful for people just kind of lay yeah. the groundwork because we're going to dive into active grieving and uh, there's a bunch of different way, like active grievings that you can go through that's associated to different kind of losses as well. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot there yeah. as well. So with, with active grieving, like, let's talk through that. Yeah. What are, what is active grieving? What are different ways people are actively grieving? And like, how is that associated with loss as well? Yeah. If, if it's okay, we'll, I'll swap it. Great. So I think that's easier. Okay. If we talk a little bit just for a minute of different types of loss, then we can talk about like how people grieve. So there's a lot of ways that, that you incur loss, but I like, um, I have about seven that I, that I think are relatable to people. I'll, I'll just say them all and then we can go back and pick a couple and maybe use some examples. Okay. Maybe you could even ask some questions about it, but the most popular or the most known type of loss is loss of life. So that would be considered, you know, death. And anyway, there's complicated death, right? The, mm -hmm. This is suicide. There's other kinds of complications. Um, another type of loss would be love, loss of love and all that in all of its capac capacity. So that can also be included in loss of life, right? Mm -hmm. But that's any kind of relationship, any kind of love. There's animals, there's all kinds of things, right, that have loss. Another loss is uh, loss of home. And that's also can be mm. really generalized, but like your, your home as in your physical home. So whether that's like it actually burns to the ground or you move a lot as a kid, or that can be a metaphorical home, right? My home base, mm -hmm. my, my identity, uh, like if I'm adopted or not, or like that kind of a thing. Um, another, and this is really big right now in the last few years, but is loss of faith. So people call it a faith crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting that we decide that it's a crisis rather than whatever we want to call it, right? But this loss of faith, which for some people is integral to like sort of their spin on the world. So they feel like they kind of spin out. Um, another loss is loss of dreams. So um, this could be anything from childhood dreams that aren't imagined to actual dreams that get cut short, right? Mm -hmm. Whether physically or otherwise. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about this in other ones, but loss of self. Um, so a lot of people go through midlife crisis or what we, again, crisis. interesting that we call it crisis, mm -hmm. right? Or um, you actually re-identify, right? So we have a lot of people right now who are identifying gender sexually um, or that are not identifying, right? And that's part of that. Um, also, it can be like um, a loss of self is um, what I, is kind of entangled sometimes in home and in um, dreams where you like, I thought I was here or I arrived and got everything I wanted, mm -hmm. but I'm not happy. So yeah. did I really do what I was meant to do? Purpose driven or loss of purpose, right? And then the last one that um, I think is really unknown is what we call ambiguous loss. So this, I think when most people talk about that, they talk about this in like, in the sense of like, if a child gets kidnapped, or we like a child gets lost and you never find them. Like mm -hmm. they, they, you never find their body. You never bury them. The other way that we usually talk about ambiguous loss is um, like dementia or Alzheimer's, okay. when somebody is not dead but they are not capable of showing up or functioning. This could also be ALS, right? Like they're deteriorating or they're not functioning, but they're not dead. So you're not actively grieving their death, but you're actively grieving or you're grieving their life 
and it's continually changing. This is ambiguous loss, right? There's not, there's not a lot, there's no closure mm-hmm. to that. Other ways that I think ambiguous loss happens um, has nothing to do with like the physical, your brain or your like physically lost, but it could be um, parents who are wanting to have children that are going through IVF mm-hmm. unsuccessfully, mm-hmm. like time after time, right? They, there's this term of like empty arms, right? And this symbolism of ambiguous loss, you don't actually have a child that you've lost, but the idea and the thing and all your passion and all your love going into something that you don't have necessarily control over, but you're trying really hard to control. Mm -hmm. And depending on, and then, you know, infant loss is another, like it can be an ambiguous loss depending on where that baby is. Like sometimes you have a stillborn and you get to bury them. So it's not ambiguous, but sometimes you have a late miscarriage or other things like that. Right. Right. So that was a lot to unpack, (laughs) but these, so much. I guess I just wanted to share, like, there are a lot of areas of loss Mm -hmm. in our lives that Mm -hmm. don't have anything to do with death. Right. Right. Well, and it's not talked about. And that's something that you and I did talk about before is there's, you know, we list off or you list off seven areas, right. Of, of loss. And none of these are talked about. And so I think it's hard for people to be aware or identify what version of loss they're going through. Or I would honestly just say, be aware because most of the time, unless you're physically losing someone, do you feel like you're going through like some sort of grieving process? So how do you recognize that in other stages when you're not physically losing a person in your life? I think part of the question lies in the society or in the in what I call your belonging place, the people that you choose, pick to -hmm. put and surround around you, right? Um, Many people, I think, just fall into their friends or people. I think when people actively pick people around them or as you get older, you're like, okay, these are the people that give back to me, so I'm going to keep them. But um, in... If you have a safe belonging place and you go through loss, it's it's validated, it's seen by others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's sometimes how you can recognize it, right? Um, I think other ways that you could potentially recognize it, 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 you might feel it. I feel a sense of I'm losing myself. This is why we call it a crisis, right? right. Or I am no longer attached to the religion that I've grown up in, right? I don't think people don't know that they're having a hard time. I think what they don't know is they don't know how to name it. So one of the things in therapy that we do a lot of times is we externalize. So you'll be able to see this on the video better than in, but like, let's say that this is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, many people are like, I'm I'm the problem, right? And in therapy, often we'll say like, well, if, what if the problem is here right. and you and I are trying to help you solve how to grieve this or how to work this? And it's not you. You're right. it's not, not actually connected to you. You're not the thing, right? Mm-hmm. But it's outside of you. And so we, and sometimes in therapy, you actually name it or, you know, you call it a name or something like this. When it comes to grief, we just don't do that. In our society, we're like busy making money and doing things and punching the clock. And, you know, if you're in a religion society doing the thing or whatever. And so when life deals you these different losses, it's sort of just expected that you like pull up your bootstraps, right? Just like keep on going. That you just keep going. Yeah. And the thing is, you can't not go through the loss, right? So what ends up happening is you either get to grieve it or actively grieve it, which means you have to have some kind of boundaries, you have to push against the system, or you stuff it, right? I'm like, yep, the last (laughs) one checks out for me. And so part of that 
is recognizing, okay, how much is, how much have I stuffed? Mm. So I'll give you an experience for this. Um, I got the opportunity to work as a therapist between my first and second year of grad school uh, on the Apache reservation down in Arizona. And I was scared to death because I wasn't even really a full licensed therapist. Um, but I, I was asked to work with these 10 to 12 year olds and they had had a lot of trauma, Mm. lots of alcoholism, lots of, um, people that had hung themselves, lots of just lots. And, and one day I was like, how do I talk to, how do I experientially work with these kids? Cause they're young. Right. And we were out in the middle of nowhere. We had a water Buffalo for our water. We had like food that had to be packed in that was in these like refrigerators. And I was looking around and I saw this package of marshmallows. I don't know if you've ever played chubby bunny. I have never played. Okay. So this is where, yeah. So (laughs) that's fine. Um, so basically I was like, what if we played chubby bunny and we talked about grief? Basically the game is how many marshmallows can you stick in your mouth before you like gag or before you throw, throw it (laughs) up basically. Right. So I have played it. Okay. So you just didn't know. Maybe it's called something else. I don't know. But this is a game that most kids just like play. Yeah. You know, how many things can I, so we did this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. And then when your mouth is so full, you know, right? You yep. you end up kind of gagging or you have to spit it all out. It's not pretty. Right. Um, and then I talked about grief being like that. If grief or the losses are each marshmallow that mm-hmm. you're stuffing inside of you, like it's going to have to come out. Right. Right. And it doesn't come out one at a time. So when we in like in our lives, all of a sudden something happens that you're grieving either that's close to you or maybe not even close to you, mm-hmm. right? And that will hit this domino that that runs through your whole life of grief. Why? Because it's all stuffed inside the mouth metaphorically, right? right? And it's coming out all together, right? This is one of the ways, it's not the best way, but this is one of the ways when you can be like, aha, self, I <laughs> am not dealing with my mm-hmm. grief. I haven't actively dealt with it. Right. I need to peel back the layers. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to always go all the way back, but it definitely means that you've done way too much mm-hmm. stuffing of your losses and it's it's coming out regardless if you want it or not and it's impacting your life, right? The idea would be how do we actively grieve some of these along the way so that we're not well, Right, because the one thing that you said is like peeling back these layers, right? Yeah. So when when that's happening and you are now becoming aware because that domino effect is taking place in your yeah. life, how do you get a handle back on actively being able to grieve? I don't think that's something we talk about is actively grieving. That's uh, I've never heard of actively grieving until our conversation yeah. earlier today. Yeah, and I don't think um, we talk about it very much. We don't. I think we oh. just deal. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, people will say things like, and I don't have any problem with this. I'm a, I'm a huge, I like to take baths. I like candlelight. I like the idea that some people talk about with self-care, but this is often the thing that people say. Cry, take a bath, like, and these are fine. But um, if you're actually feeling your feels, right? if you're just doing a thing to sort of escape or numb, so that could be drinking, that could be alcohol, that could be sex, that could be tech, which is Mm -hmm. what a lot of people do, right? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't seem like it's a drug. Um, Then you're not actually actively grieving. So the worst, this is why we don't talk about it because it's painful. It is. (laughs) Because actively grieving is to sit in the space and to actually feel the feelings all the way through. Sometimes I call this going through the rabbit hole. So it's feeling the catastrophic loss that you maybe never gave it time to be. It it might include crying for some people. Um, it, there, each, 
there's a book called The Body Holds the Score, It Keeps the Score. That's really well known in, tra- in trauma, but mm-hmm. that your body will hold on to that. So some people, when they release tension or they release or they're actively grieving, they'll cry. Some people will do other things, right? Um, but you can usually feel a tension reduction. And so that's one of the signs of like active grieving that somehow in that process, you've gotten out enough of the knowledge. Now, for some people, they're not physical like, um, people. So this might be journaling, right? Naming the thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. This I'm going to honor and write down some of the losses that I haven't acknowledged or talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that's the first step for what I think is the most, the easiest and the most community belonging place way to do it. And that is to acknowledge it. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you acknowledge a loss, you take, it's sort of like the turtle that sticks its head out of the shell or sometimes I think of the antennas of a snail right you're like could I maybe trust this person and it's very possible that they will poke poke the antennas Mm -hmm. or the turtle will go back in the shell right it's also possible as we know in talking about vulnerability that someone will acknowledge that right and that is active grieving it's the awareness and the knowledge that you that you spoke it out and somebody said I validate that mm-hmm. or I, I hear you or that's got to be hard. Right. And they're, they're not fixing you and they're not trying to tell you how to. And that's the difference right there is, is the fixing part, because I feel like we are also so quick to try to fix. Like if your friend or someone close to you comes to you with something that they they've lost or, or in pain. Yes. You want to fix it. We are a pain averse society. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me the other day as a therapist, they're like, when you look at the school shootings, do you think it's a mental health problem or do you think it's a gun problem? And I said, neither. And they were like, I said, Mm. I think it's a pain averse problem. Meaning whoever (laughs) is holding that gun Mm -hmm. or, and it doesn't have to be shootings. It can be suicides, right? People are feeling their feels so strongly that they're either internalizing, which I consider like the suicide or they're externalizing at a level that they can't handle. Mm hurt people, hurt people. Yes. Healed people, heal people. Right. I, I think I told you earlier, grieving people help other people grieve. Mm -hmm. The active part of that grieving is to say like, when I'm in pain, you don't need to fix me because I'm not actually broken. Mm -hmm. I'm not actually fragile. The gift you give somebody when you don't try to fix them is you say, I don't see you as a fragile person. I see you as a capable person that's having a really hard time. We are so pain averse though, that when we hear somebody especially if they're genuine, right. And vulnerable that we want to make them better. Right. I don't, this is like a learned behavior. It's a maladaptive learned behavior that says like, I I can actually make you feel better. I don't have any control over you. Right. And the quicker I learn that, then I, you know, can sit by you. Mm. I can, I can have empathy for you. If I have similar experiences, um, I can even have sympathy, right. Where I don't have any experiences for you, but I want to like, feel with you. And, and, and in all types of loss, I think if you can get your loss acknowledged, um, and, and externalized (laughs) and somebody can see it or touch it, or you can talk about it, then you can put it away like Mm -hmm. in a healthy way. Right. Mm -hmm. I sometimes think of when I'm talking about trauma or this, it's like really acute right in front of your face. It's like a hand right in front of your face as time goes by and you, and life goes by and you do think it's, it's still going to be there like loss, but it becomes, it's further out of your face. And then eventually it may be in your peripheral view. Right. We don't ever really want 
to get rid of our losses because they build who we are. Right. Right. They help shape who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're not ever trying, when I'm talking about active grieving and we're talking about this, we're not actually trying to fix the loss or take away the loss. That actually takes away who we are, but we are trying to get it further away from our face, further traumatic and that it's not going to come out like the chubby bunny. Right. Right. So there's, there's a couple things that you said, like for someone that one is trying to go through the grieving process is one acknowledging where they're at. And then the other there's a couple things that you said sometimes it might show up physical for someone where it's tension released or sometimes you might not feel anything physical and you need to write it out yeah so for those that are listening and this might be hard to give like a top three list or a top five list if they're going through something right now and they are aware Mm -hmm. that they are grieving due to a loss Mm. what are three things that you can give to someone over the podcast to be like hey Right now, we can't actually physically be with you to give you that sympathy or that empathy. But here are three things to try to help you get through that. I don't even know. If yeah, no. Yeah, no, this is great. So like one of the things that I that I kind of described was the ability to actually sit in that space. So you could go um, depending on like the types, right? Like mm-hmm. here's the thing about active grieving is it's it's, it's really associated with the like um the type. So let's say you have, um, loss of faith, right? And you know that you're losing your space in that, but you don't necessarily know how to actively grieve that or acknowledge that. And it's actually really painful, right? Part, part of what I see people do, and this is not necessarily good or bad, but they go and find, um, other people who have had that and people validate, um, their like leaving, but they jump on a bandwagon that's sort of toxic, right? That's like, let's talk about this. I don't feel like that's really healthy grieving. That's what I call like box buddies. You've, you've linked arms with somebody else who's hurt and now you're both hurt and it feels good that they feel hurt. Right. Right. I don't think that's active grieving. The active grieving would be recognizing, man, I have had a part of the culture, a part of a faith. And at one point I really believed and it was really sustaining. And now I, and now I've had this big loss because I don't, I no longer relate or feel like that, right? So part of that is is whatever would help you to go and actually say goodbye mm. to that, right? So could, could it be going back to the church building or any church building? Could it be prayer, even if you don't believe in prayer? Could it be a gift of like writing a, a letter mm. to yourself or to like the higher being or whatever, it's a release, right? So a lot of times people will write things and and bury them or burn them, or yeah. they will balloons, right? You've, some people grieve with balloons. Um, but it's like taking the space that you were in instead of tipping, which we a lot of times tip and become a victim of our circumstances, and then we justify. Mm. It's neither of those. I'm not a victim. I'm not justifying. I'm going to sit in the actual pain, the reality that like I had something that I love that no longer works for me. And I feel abandoned by that. And I feel betrayed by that. And I stick right in my space. I don't talk about the leaders. I don't talk about this. I don't talk about the structure. Does that make sense? Because all of all those things keep you from the actual space that you need to like heal and let go and be like, like, this is okay. I'm right. not going to, whatever your thing is. I always say, I'm not going to die from this. Mm-hmm. I might feel like I'm going to die from this, but do I have people? And I go back to this place. Do I have people that will love me regardless of what religion or what faith do I have a place? If I 
like need a safe place. You know, there's some things that I go to, um, that help me be like, okay, I, I'm not actually going to fall apart in a puddle on the ground right. if I actually feel my feels because most people, female, male, it doesn't matter, feel like if they actually feel that they can't survive. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. I feel like I've had personal experiences where it almost was too much Yeah, to fill it. So then I shut it off yes. and I shove it back in. Yeah. And usually <laughs> when you're at that place where you feel like you can't feel it, if you just stay mm. a little bit longer mm-hmm. in the authentic place, remember what I was saying, yeah. then it's pretty empowering because you felt all the way through Mm -hmm. rather than I'm going to numb it. I'm going to stuff it. I'm going to give it to somebody else to hold. I'm going to like, if it's pretty awesome and it's hard, like anything. You saying that I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Terrifying. Yeah. To, to be able to sit long enough to process all that or accept what's happened, whatever loss form that is. Yes. Cause that's not easy to do. We're also not taught to do that. Yeah. I wanted to share like a personal experience of mine that like, um, is pretty near and dear to me to tell you kind of a little bit, but like how I've done that and how it has been scary. But, um, I'm, I'm 43 and I'm only telling you my age because there's this like window of opportunity to have kids. Right. And in, mm-hmm. in our society, I think at like 36 or you have like a geriatric pregnancy or even earlier. Right. So for my whole life, I've wanted to like have kids and get married. And this was a thing that I, that I've actively wanted and it just hasn't happened for me. Well, at a certain point, I think when I was about 36 or 38, I started to really recognize because for a long time I was like, Oh, it'll happen. Right. And I got to a certain place biologically and the clock is ticking. Right. And I was like, Oh, this might not happen. Mm. Part of my active grieving was who's talking about this? Nobody's talking about this. Right. But I had some friends that were single and that also wanted this. And so I started to dare to like say, Hey, (laughs) what are you doing? Or what are you thinking? And some of my friends were like freezing their eggs. Right. And Mm -hmm. some of my friends were like, I'm not going to do that. Some of my friends were like, I'm not worried about it because I'm going to have a kid, whether I get married or not. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do IVF or I'm going to adopt. And, and some of my friends were like me, I don't know that I want to do any of those, but like, I don't know. I don't know that I can survive if I am not a mom. Right. Right. It was Mm. like the scariest thing. And when my scariest, what I call my unspeakable truths, when I share my unspeakable truths with somebody else and I hear that validated, it's not as scary. It's like, oh, there's a world where I am not a mom and I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it starts the moment that says, okay. So then I become 39. 40 and people say to me, Oh, you have time. You'll have time. People get, people have kids at 50, right? These are the non-helpful things, right? Right. And, um, as I continue to talk to people and as I share my really deep fear of like, what happens if I don't ever have kids or I never get married? Am I less of a person? Am I, am I less of a, am I, worthy, worthy, less worthy. Right. And my belief system says, no, I'm inherently worthy, whatever. Right. I don't have to do anything or be anything to have that. Um, it's not enough for me to feel that like we need community that says that, that says to me, like, yeah, you are going to be okay. And then the story starts to change. There's a permission inside me that says, are there other ways to be a mom? Mm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, maybe I'll get married to somebody who's divorced or somebody who's widowed and I'll become a stepmom. Maybe I will eventually decide that, like, I always thought I wanted to have kids with a partner, but maybe I'll become a foster parent. Right. 
the future doesn't seem like it's all or nothing. Right. Because the ticking clock for me made it feel that way. And it made me feel like, like, well, men can just marry somebody younger, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I was feeling a lot of hurt. And I, and what I started to realize is that it's my choice. I have the ability. I can go and do what, like I could become a mother. We live in a society where that isn't that amazing that you can, you can. And, but I'm making choices, right? I want to be married. I want to have a family unit at this point in my life. And so when I stop blaming others Mm -hmm. and I hold myself accountable, and then I also say my unspeakable things and other people validate that or cry with me or people that have kids that love me don't say, it's not so great to have kids. They're both, they just don't say that thing when they just say that's gotta be hard. Or my dad says, it's so hard for me to see you want something so badly and not get it. That breaks my heart. Right? Yeah. But it breaks your heart, but in the most like endearing, it's the most connecting. It's the most validating watching my dad. I'm one of eight kids raise his family. I know the thing he, he loves and values more than anything is being a father. So for him to look at me and not necessarily pity me, but to say like, I hurt so bad that you can't have the thing that you want is so free, mm-hmm. right? Cause he's saying the hardest thing. Yeah. He's not saying the other things. Oh, it's okay. You're fine. You have this good job. You, you know, right. he's just sitting in the place. And I'm, I'm sure vicariously, right. This is the thing about grief is that my mom and dad have been grieving for years, right? Like they want that for me too. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't have control over that either. So that's the thing that grief does too. It just expands and it expands and, and until you actually say the things out loud, it's like a monster, right? Yeah. Once you start saying it out loud, people know that you're, that you hurt and they know you're acknowledging it and they get to be a part of that process as well, right? They get to sort of hold your hand through it mm-hmm. rather than try and fix it or rather than try and avoid it. So that's kind of an example of like right. how to actively grieve, at least in my life. It's messy. It's not like, do ABC, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, find the people that you trust, speak your truth, be seen that your unspeakable thing isn't nearly as unspeakable as it is. And then you can start to narrate your story about, well, what do I want? If I can't have that, then are there other things that I can do? Or if there's really, sometimes there's not an answer, right? Like we're talking about people that have had traumatic experiences and maybe can't turn it. Then it's like, how do I let that go? It's not serving me anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't need to hold on to that. I don't want that to be a domino in my life. Right. You know, and this is where I think there's a couple of things I could tell you, like journaling, I think is really effective for people. Therapy, I'm not always like go, always go to therapy. There's lots of different kinds of therapy, right? So talk therapy, EMDR for trauma. Um, I think uh, being able to, like I said, physically. So for some people that is anything from, um, being able to get grounded. So for a lot of people that can be being present, right? Mm-hmm. So I can tell you one coping skill that, that I, that I feel like people can use. It's a DBT dialectical behavior therapy. It's called tip. Um, and T I P P is what it stands. So okay. T is temperature change. So like if you are really having a hard time getting into your feels because you're you're catastrophizing in the future or you're looking at the past Mm -hmm. and you need to be really present to feel, then a temperature change is really helpful. So splashing cold water, ice, taking your socks and shoes off and walking on the ground, different levels, just really changing the temp, going outside if it's cold from hot or vice versa will really bring your body present. And then you can have kind of like 
be again because right the real act of grieving is feeling your feels and all and not being present doesn't do that some people call that disassociation right Mm -hmm. the I is um, intense exercise if you run in place you do you can't think right while you're moving that will bring you really close and usually when people do that kind of there's a tension reduction when you stop moving in place your body actually like relaxes mm-hmm. and sometimes if you're in your grief that's enough for you it to come out whether it's crying or whether it's like a physical release the first p is um paced breathing or box breathing or any version of that right taking yep. really deep breaths holding it and releasing the crazy awesome thing about that and being present is it actually regulates your your heart and your blood flow and it actually keeps you really present and mm-hmm. it keeps your blood flowing through all of your body instead of just like it's not, it's getting to all the other, your limbs and everything. The second, the last P is paired. It's a fancy word, paired muscle relaxation, but it's basically like, um, taking different parts of your body, maybe from your head to your toes or your toes to your head and like tensing them really tight and Mm -hmm. then releasing them. This is one of my favorites when I'm trying to like really actively grieve and I'm trying to not numb is for me to move through my body and like tighten and release because that process of tighten and releasing, like the way that I tension relieve because I'm not a crier all the time is just cry, like deep guttural, like release yeah. cry. And that helps me that, t- that muscle paired relaxation helps my body say like, okay, we're tensing and we're relaxing, we're tensing, we're relaxing. And then it gives myself permission to be like, you can release. Like we're here. We're here. Mm -hmm. I'm here. We're here. Whatever. Right. Yeah. So that's tip just as a review really quick temperature, intense exercise, paired paced breathing, paired muscle relaxation. So that's a coping skill. Um, which is is pretty easy. Yeah. I was gonna say that's a great coping skill because it's attainable. Yeah. And right at your fingertips. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't right there. Yeah. And I think, I think it's overwhelming when you think about any way to process feelings. And I'm speaking from experience. Yeah. And so there are some things within tip that I, I've tried and it has helped. But this is something you can do at any point in the day. You don't have to have you don't have to be in a therapy session. You don't have to go to a friend. You don't have to you you are able to do this with just yourself. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, there's a lot of DBT skills. There's a lot of coping skills. This is my favorite usually to share to people when you're saying, Hey, what do you have? <laughs> because yeah. I feel like it's super attainable. Right. Yeah. And do, so kind of with that too. So like for, okay, like if I'm trying to process grief, Mm -hmm. right, I can do tip and, and get myself to be present. Yeah. If I'm going to somebody to lean on, to help validate my feelings. Yeah. Is this something for them on the receiving end to also be present with me that they can be doing? Yeah. It's less about them. So usually when you go to talk to somebody, the, the essence of talking to somebody keeps you pretty present. Mm-hmm. I guess it depends on how good of a listener they right. are. Right. I was like, <laughs> yes or no. In the perfect world, yes. <laughs> but this is what I would say about this. If you want to be an active griever, which we're talking about, right? Or at mm-hmm. least try <laughs> to acknowledge your grief, which is the first stuff, right? Um, I always think that the thing you gift somebody else is you tell them what you need. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So instead of going to somebody hoping that they're going to validate or sit with you and knowing they might tell you or fix you, you could say something like this. So I, I want to share something with you and I just want you to listen. I don't really need any feedback. That, that tells them, right? right. And especially if they're a person that just seems to need to give the feedback, it, tell, it gives them a boundary, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily need to do tip, but what they need to do is be present. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about them. 
Right. Because a lot of times when people are grieving or tell some grief, somebody else wants to relate and they tell their pain. You know, Brene Brown says, um, but, but what is the phrase that she says? Like, oh, but Johnny has good grades, but this silver lining it is what she calls it. Mm -hmm. Right. When somebody says, I just broke up with my fiance. Well, my grandma died or like this. It's like, these are not relatable. Right. And maybe your grief was at a higher level for you, but my grief is at my level for me, mm -hmm. right? So telling somebody, kind of asking somebody for what you need sets them up for success and actually sets you up for what you get. We don't do this very well in our society either no. because we are afraid to ask for what we need. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is the hardest part. I would say yeah. that is very hard. That That is one thing that in, I think in my, in my job, right? So I'm in sales and something that you have to do is listen. Yes. And a lot of the time you want the other person to obviously talk more than, than you. And so, but for me, I am somebody that when I see somebody hurting, I want to try to fix them because yeah. there's, you know, there's times in my life where I feel like I also wanted someone to help me and fix me because I wasn't communicating what I needed. So yeah. it's like this full circle moment. But the, the reason of even bringing that up is something that I've tried to help implement in myself is when someone's coming to me, I ask, are you wanting me just to listen or do you want advice? Yeah. And that's helped me a lot because I'm not probably the best communicator, but I want to be there for people. And that has been a drastic shift for me and, and asking that simple thing. But I don't do that for other people. I don't go to you someone don't, yeah. and I'm like, Kylie, I and need you just to listen. Yeah, the thing is, <laughs> this and this you're not, like it's, you're like most people, right? Mm -hmm. I think what a world would it be if we could do both? If you right. go to people and say, ask for what you need, but also if most people, when you start to unload your unspeakable things, right? That they say, okay, like I'm here for you. Do you mm -hmm. want some thoughts to bounce off? Or do you like... Do you just need to like have somebody validate or hear what you're saying on both ends? Right. Right. Um, many times you're not going to ask. You're just going to tell somebody because usually it's coming out of the mouth. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't not tell somebody. It, I think it would be a great world. And this is why I'm passionate about it. If we could get a little ahead of that. But most of the time we're getting we're 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 actively grieving or grieving when it's causing a problem in our life mm -hmm. and when we have to stop and talk about it. So then when we do tell somebody, we often get disappointed by by the way that they um, do that. And I guess what I want to say is and this is up, up to myself and to everybody else is like, just keep trying because the first person may not do it right, mm -hmm. but the second person may do really good at it. Yeah. I'll never forget one time when I was driving with my best friend, my best friend, right? And I started just venting and talking and crying and driving. And it was easy, easier for me because I wasn't looking at her. And she put her hand on my knee and she said, I've been waiting so long for you to let me hold something. I'll never forget those words because I was like, but you're my best friend. Yeah. But she had been so vulnerable and so willing to like, she saw me as this person that could hold the stuff, but she, like, I just wasn't right. And she was just waiting. And I was such an example to me about like, I didn't, I need to have more trust that people can handle the truths that I have and that they're very capable, right? If I want people to come to me and create safe spaces, I need to give that to other people too. So part of the grieving, active grieving process is to have a little more trust that people mm. can hold our truths. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and when we expect and look at people as not fragile, but capable, they show up. And I like, I like that fragile, not capable or wow. I'm going to butcher that right there. <laughs> no, it's okay. You saying that we need to look at people not as being fragile, but they're capable. 
that's that's big because I feel like when anybody is hurting, we do take that approach. And people are very capable. Yeah. We have our answers inside of us. We do. Mm -hmm. Like if we think of everybody has what they need. Now, if they don't have what they need, it's a different conversation because they're going to ask, right? It's that saying, don't give unsolicited advice. Mm -hmm. If we just don't do that, then we learn a lot from somebody. They're going to say, hey, you know, this is what I'm like. I'm struggling with this. And I'm like, everybody seems to be leaning here or here. Another example I would give of this is um, I remember my best friend when he was going through his divorce and everybody was taking sides and mostly his side mm. against his ex. And he's like, I love this person. We're not working right now, but I don't want people to take my side. I don't want people to take her side. I want to just sit with people who can right. just sit in the middle and just hear. And as I was sitting with him, you know, and he's crying, he's like, I don't want to share my kids and the experience. Experience and he's like, thank you for being somebody who's neutral, you know, and I learned a long time ago that if you want to keep your friends, you don't pick sides, you mm. stay neutral, right? And you love because somebody can, somebody can change their mind and something can change, right? right? But this is the gift that you give people when you see them as capable. It's like, I don't have to pick a side or I don't have to be evil, right? As dating in the, in the singles world with people who have exes, right? I will say to some, to, to the guy, just so you know, early on, I don't need to hate your ex, right? You right. know that I don't have to hate. Right. Like, we, <laughs> like let's just clear the air. I say that, but I always say that because I'm like, I don't need to align with you. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a thing we need to do because like, if we end up getting married or something, we'll work, we'll work a relationship out, but don't align with me against somebody because we don't need to do that. Right. This is the thing I think we don't do very well with grief is we don't, we don't allow people to say really hard things and sit in those things because what does that say about me or or, you know, and we turn and we turn our stuff into the thing rather than sitting with somebody. It's almost like we're afraid we're not going to get a chance. You're telling me, oh, now it's my chance to tell me. And then it's all about it's all about me. Right. right? So that's one of the things I hope people leave is when people dare to stick their antennas out or their or their turtleneck. Right. And mm -hmm. they start to tell you the things of their heart. That's a sacred moment. Like, see it for that. It's not about you. Right. Right. And I love that because I feel like we live in a society where it's a very selfish society. It's always about us. We have a lot of things that can help us. Quick fixes, right? Yeah. About us. It's me, 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 yeah. me. And so I love that we're able to switch this dynamic and be able to show up for somebody else because it's so much bigger than us. Yeah, there's a, in fact, I, there's a quote in here, a couple quotes in here, but one of the things, by the way, this book is Making Loss Matter. Um, creating meaning in difficult times. It's by um, a rabbi, David Wolp. Um, and he talks about a lot of these different areas. But one of the things that he says, um, the blessing we seek in life is not to live without pain. It is to live so that our pain has meaning. This is part of active grieving, right? Mm -hmm. It's not getting rid of the things, but it's to, it's to say it out loud and to have somebody else hold it and to validate that it is a loss. And once it's recognized, it doesn't have as much, uh, as much hold, right? Um, there is another quote um, in here. My deepest prayer to God used to be to spare me from the pains of life that I so dreaded. Now I see that that is the prayer of a child. As a man, I do not pray for a life without pain. Instead, I pray, dear God, I know that there will be pain in my life and sadness and loss. Please give me the strength to create a life together with those who I love, where loss will not be empty, where pain will not be purposeless. Help me find the faith to make loss matter. Wow. Right. So this idea of like, we don't just have loss to just collect like marshmallows to like vomit out. Right. right. We, we have loss and we are given an opportunity to either create meaning or let go. Cause mm -hmm. I don't think you can always create. And that is part of our like 
becoming. The last quote that I'll give in here, which is my favorite, which started me on this pain averse journey that we talked about earlier. Um, He says this, the Sassover Reb said that he learned the meaning of love from overhearing a conversation between two villagers. One asked the other, do you love me? The second replied, I love you deeply. The first asked, do you know, my friend, what gives me pain? The second protested that he could not possibly know. If you, if you do not know what gives me pain, lamented the first, how can you say you love me? And, and that, when I read this in this book, I was like, man, this is why we have so much disconnection. Yes. Because we can't sit with people in their pain. But if we could sit with people in their more vulnerable pain, then we could be more connected, right? Mm-hmm. In the end, vulnerability, pain, loss, it's the thing that we all struggle with. So it's the thing that when you know it, we become connected to, to them, right? That's so beautiful. Yeah. There's there's so much with that that I mean we could go on for hours <laughs> with this because this is such like this is such a big topic and I feel like we just skimmed the surface. But I also think we gave those listening some good insight, but then also some good, I would say, tools in your toolbox. Yeah, to there's help like, you just a this. couple more that I um like if if I were to say to people, what can you do to fortify yourself mm-hmm. for grief? Because there's a difference between helping it once it's like accumulated versus like building some fortification. There's just a couple of things that I would say, really work on your belonging place, pick your people, fortify yourself with people who you can be vulnerable with it, that even if they mess up a little bit, they know you and they see you, right? I call this a belonging place, cultivate resilience, mm-hmm. be risky in your life that you can fail forward so that you can feel like you can be a mess, right? right. If you've never failed, then it's hard to feel like you can put yourself out there, right? So so cultivating some resilience, coping skills, which we talked about, right? Build some actual coping skills. You can talk all day about anything, but if you're not actually doing things that are going to help you be present or focused or do the work, then talk doesn't work, including therapy, right? Um, And then create rituals. There's a ritual for loss of, of life and there's not necessarily rituals for other things. So for me... This is a loss of life ritual, but it extends. Whenever somebody says to me that somebody died or something happened, I go to my calendar and six months later, I mark that. And that's when I send the flowers or that's when I send the card. Because when my brother died, one of my friends who had had his sister die six months after he died, he sent me a card after everybody had already like forgotten. Right. Mm -hmm. And even though this is a loss of life that I'm giving example, it was a much bigger picture. Right. Um, And so that's one of my rituals that I've continued. And I haven't just done death. I've done other kinds of losses. Right. Six months after that loss, checking in with somebody. And that's become like a personal ritual of my But this is something that like the letting go of balloons, the burning something, Mm -hmm. the like letting go or, or kind of closing something, a chapter, something physical, right? So between building a belonging place, cultivating resilience, coping skills, rituals, these are some, I think, ways you can actually proactively like fortify your life so that when Mm -hmm. crisis, (laughs) I said that in quotes, right? Air quotes. Happens, you're, you're, you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. And Kylie, I I appreciate you being vulnerable, coming on here and talking through not only, you know, your 
extensive career that you had in helping people through this, but then also being vulnerable and sharing your experiences as well. Well, thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk about a passion. Yes, I love <laughs> it. Mine. And it's great. And I'm I, hopefully we can have you on soon because I feel like there's so much more that we can dive into. So thank you so much right. for being here. Thank you. Boy, done. <laughs> I saw them like waving at me. Stop talking. <laughs> like, shut up.